Okay, I am uh, going to try my best to speak slowly so that the sound... I'm going to keep, keep talking, but yeah, this sounds pretty good. All right. Um, yeah, a little bit better. Just kidding. Okay, the... Um, first of all, order, uh, housekeeping. Make sure everyone has a John Kleinick book. We're going to open up in prayer here in a second. Um, feel free to get a, a beer, water, can of soda, bar snacks, whenever you would like. It is okay. Okay. All right, turn, turn into, uh, it's page 15 in the preface, so that's an X and a V. We're going to pray for hearing God's word. Uh, I was wondering, though, if anybody would read. Well, okay, so on page 16, the promise of Jesus. Those are some readings there. I actually would like to, in that place to read Isaiah 55 again. We read it last week, but I was wondering if, if would anyone be willing to read Isaiah 55? 1, 1 through 13. Okay. So that's after. Then, would anybody be willing to lead the men's group in this prayer? If not, I will. And lead, the, okay, James will lead it. Fantastic. So that means he'll read the parts that are not bold. And, I'm sorry, pray those parts that are not bold. The rest of us will pray that, uh, the parts that are bold. And David, you got Isaiah 55, 1 through 13? Okay, excellent. Go ahead, James, to start.
Thank you, James and David. All right, so we're going to, uh, two things before we kind of dive into the next section of, of John Kleinig's book is just a review from last week. Um, so last week when I, we discussed reading God's Word, I wanted everyone to think about it in terms of a feast. And this is why Isaiah 55 was read. And, um, you know, just like a feast, we, you know, you, when you go to a feast, you... You participate in it, you eat it, you enjoy, and you savor the word. This is how we need to, uh, this is how we are meant to approach God's word. Now the word itself though, is uh, we need to understand that even though it's in this book, our primary understanding of the word of God is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And uh, I, I had that big long quote from Herman Sasa. Does anyone have a, is anyone, is any, no one's uh, named Herman here, by the way, right? Does anyone have a brother named Herman? It's like a great, it's like an old name I would love to bring back. Buddy, I'm, I need to have more children, maybe, and I can bring it back. Yeah, I mean, it should be brought back, though, don't you think? Herman? It's a good name. Okay, anyways, Herman Sasta really pointed out the tendency, especially, uh, well, he said, he pointed out that there's non-Lutheran things that are being dressed up like Lutheran uh, doctrine, and one of them is how we understand God's word. And his whole point was, is that we trust in God's word because of faith in Jesus. So we, like, as we understand God's word, Jesus is always over the word of God versus, um, there's a lot of other Christians who have a tendency to put the, with the Word of God over, the, over Jesus, meaning that um, in order to believe Jesus, I have to believe the Bible. And rather than saying we believe the Bible because of we believe Jesus. And unfortunately, you know, that's how Muslims understand the Quran and, and even Old Testament Jews, how they understand the Old Testament. It's not an authentically Christian understanding of God's Word. But as we approach scripture, we really want to understand that when we read, and we'll get into this actually maybe next week or the week after, but as we, as we uh, receive God's word or hear God's word, we actually are understanding that it is primarily coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Okay. Then the destination of God's word isn't just our brain. This is not an academic exercise. And if you're like me, you're super happy about that because I, I did not like school. I can't remember if I said that last week. I did not quit learning in school until I was in like high school or college, like last year in college. Anyone else can relate to that question, like perspective? I did not, I did not equate learning and going to school. It was like obligatory. I had to because I don't know. If you don't go to school, you go to jail or something. You know, I just... So, so uh, the destination of God's word isn't, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's your whole body. It's not just your brain. It's not an academic exercise, although we do use tools to read God's word, but the primary understanding of God's word is your life, holy life. And since none of us are just brains, that is... Um, why it's destined for your body. Okay, so last week's assignment, whether you did or not, that's beside the point, and it's not a big deal if you didn't. Uh, did I share the story about Mike Zeidler last week? Okay. I feel like I'm getting to the age where I start repeating myself, so if, if I happen to repeat myself, just give me the heads up. Mike Zeidler, he was my middle school, Sunday, we called it Sunday school, you were all the way up to your adult, so um, where I grew up. So he was my middle school, Sunday school teacher. And he, every week we had our devotions. We had like our assignment to read God's word. And it was on the honor system, but if you read it six out of the seven days, you got a snicker bar. 
so he kept in line with the feasting idea. Um, out of my, so I, middle school was only two years where I, where I grew up, my seventh and eighth grade year. Uh, out of my seventh and eighth grade year, I got two Snicker bars. So I wasn't, I wasn't really good at maintaining my weekly Bible readings. So I commiserate with those who find it tough. But at the same time, I'm going to keep encouraging you guys to do that. So last week's assignment was to read Isaiah 55. And does anyone have anything to report from their last week Bible readings? That stuck out to them, if not. And of course, new guys this week, you know, you guys didn't get the assignment, don't worry about it. David. Um, so this is repeated a lot in Psalms and Prophets, where it's refraining of my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Yes. And it reminds me of Psalm 131, which says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And my understanding of that is uh, temptation as humans is to try to um, uh, pry into God's will outside of what's been revealed to us in the Word. And so we want to know, like, everything God wants us to know is in His Word. Yep. And that's, He gives it to us as a gift. But we do have this temptation to pry into the mind of God, which is completely unknowable to us and really... Luther talks about the dangers of that and um, about how we have something, we have a short foundation, um, and that's the word. So. Yeah, okay, so David brings up a good point. The fact that God's ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts, he doesn't say that to make you feel bad. He doesn't say that, yeah, you're, you're an idiot, I'm, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> some of us are just, yeah, some of us are idiots and that's okay. It's, he's not telling us anything we don't know. But, why, I mean, why would God say that? It, again, he's not there to make us feel bad, and he's not there to, con, you know, to uh, condemn us to hell or, or you know, ignorance. Well, he, he's actually telling us this because what he wants us to know, he actually tells us. But it's, it's even, even better than that. What we need to know is he tells us. And... What is interesting about this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are above your ways, is it's ironic. Because God, when God speaks, again, just, just kind of seriously think about this. Does God speak in such an esoteric way that we don't really understand the words? So just think about that. Uh, is there any, any words in the Bible, and of course it's translated, you might make an argument, I don't know Greek or Hebrew, but you're part of humanity, and there's lots of people who know Greek and Hebrew. Okay. But you know English. So think about, think about the words on the page. And, like for instance, you, everyone knows what a sheep is here. Everyone knows what a shepherd is. Everyone knows what a seed is. Um, of all the words in the Bible, there's probably a very, very small amount that you might have to use a dictionary to look up. So, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are—I mean, sorry, his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Is actually a sign that God uses things that we wouldn't normally associate with divine beings, the, the creator of the universe. He speaks in such a simple way that it almost seems too easy. And when it becomes too easy, the Apostle Paul says, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, or to the Gentiles. Um, yeah, the, the, um, so this, okay, so in Exodus 33, Moses is put into the cleft of the rock. Uh, rock of ages, cleft for me. That's all I know, I can't remember. Anybody else know it? Bum, bum, bum. Ba, da, da, da. Uh, 
so the story goes is God, Moses wants to see God. God's like, nah, I'll put you in the rock and I'll walk by you and you can see my backside. Which I think is kind of funny, right? What's, what's the best side? His backside. No. Um, so it, the story goes is God puts his hand in front of Moses' eyes and then he walks by. And I think almost everybody thinks that's an, like an anthropomorphic kind of way of talking. But if we know that God is, how is that not, how is that actually uh, maybe a literal telling, I use that word generally, literally, um, from what we know of Jesus, could that in fact be Jesus' hand? the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. And the reason why Moses, God doesn't want Moses to see some guy walking by is that Moses is going to be like, what? Is this some dude? I thought it was God of the universe, the guy that kicked uh, the Egyptians' butts. And it's just some guy walking by. So I think that's actually why God put his hand over Moses' face. It's too much of a scandal. It wasn't until Jesus came along then that made sense for Moses. Who, of course, Moses, you know, Jesus talks to Moses, right? In the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so his thoughts are, uh, Isaiah 55, his thoughts are not my thoughts, my ways are not your ways. We often can see there's this great chasm between God and us, and there is because he, he works so foolishly. He works in a hidden way. And that goes to the end of Isaiah 55, and this is the part I, I've been, was meditating. Anybody else meditate on anything else for the week? Really? Before I give my two cents? Isaiah 55, the image of a seed growing and blossoming, and I think of Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park, life finds a way. So God's word is life, and it finds a way. I'm wrapping up my garden. Still have spinach and lettuce, radishes growing, lots of great things. But my summer squash, getting powdery mildew, I got to, you know, just... But it made me think about uh, Isaiah 55. And how I plant that seed, like radishes, for instance. I plant the seed of the radish, it's going to come up in a week. I just will. I know it will. Boom. Now, how does that happen? Does that happen in front of me? No, it happens underground. So this is, this is very instructive. As we spend time in Isaiah 55, we read it slowly, and we savor it, and we spend time with it. God is telling us in plain language that life is going to find a way. It's going to be just like a plant grows. And if you think about how a plant grows, it's going to happen in a hidden way. So God's word does whatever it's going to do, but it happens underground. And for a lot of us, we don't like that. We like to have everything happen above ground because when you plant it and it happens underground, what do you have to do for that seed? You have to trust that seed to come up, right? But God makes promises in his word, and in fact, it happens. Life finds a way. I think I'm supposed to, like, do this with my eyebrows. I think that's what Jeff Goldblum does in the movie, Jurassic Park, for us old-timers. Okay. All right, well, anyways, so next week, uh, the bookmarks, I think, are back on that table over there, so if you want to grab one, we're going to read um, three chapters from the Gospel of Mark, so that will be a little bit um, different than last week's. But again, do it, don't do it. I'll love you either way. Okay. So let's begin on the old outline here. God's word is a conversation between lovers. Okay, last week it was feasting. This week it's pillow talk. Okay? I'll let you figure that out. For Jesus, as for every lover, this is from page 51 of the book, for Jesus, as for every lover, words are the means for self-giving and self-disclosure. The words Jesus speaks cannot be separated from his proximity to us. Okay. Jesus is primarily a lover who wants us near him. 
Uh, again, I don't have a time to go in to all the Old Testament, um, but God marries Israel. It's, uh, it's how the prophets talk about Mount Sinai. If you really want to know, it's from Isaiah, it's from Hosea, uh, there's parts of Ezekiel. But Jesus is primarily a lover, and he's, and he's a very passionate lover. Exodus 25 and Exodus 34, 14, Jesus, God actually calls himself, I am jealous. Jesus gets translated, I'm the jealous God, or I'm a jealous God, but it's literally, my name is Jealous. Elkanah. Okay. Now, of course, we associate jealousy with envy and greed or, you know, you know, bad stuff. But when it comes to love and your spouse, you know, I pray to God you're a jealous spouse. You are not sharing your spouse with anyone. Your spouse is yours. And you're going to if anyone tries to put the moves on your wife, you're going to, you know, you're going to take care of it. Okay? This is how God is talking, and this is how he understands. So when God, in his, the Word, so last week we're feasting, and, you know, it's, mm, it's great. We're going to get a lot of life out of God's Word. Now we have to understand that God is very passionate about loving us, and these words are his love letter to us. Okay? Right, if that's true, then what? I mean, we have to be able to hear that, okay? So, yeah, we have to have ears to hear this. So, um, what sort of ears do we have? And what's interesting is, in First Kings chapter three, if you, yeah, let's turn to it. First Kings chapter three, nine and twelve. The only reason why I am asking you to turn to it is because I noticed uh, there's a couple of translations of the Bible out there. I have the ESV, and frankly, it's okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, only because we, we uh, it's mainly because of us, not because of the Bible itself. All right, so does anyone have 1 Kings chapter 3, let's say just verse 9. Uh, in the ESV handy, real quick. You want to have that handy? Joe, go ahead and read that real quick. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Okay, so an understanding mind. And I think it's repeated in verse 12. Understanding mind in verse 9. Does anyone have a different translation of that? John, what do you have? What's that? The authorized. Apparently, uh, Joe read the unauthorized. Hey, it's kind of like it's kind of like Avery's T-shirt over there, the unauthorized T-shirt. All right, go ahead. Ooh. Understanding hearts. See, that's better because the word actually is heart, like in the Hebrew. All right, let's see what else we got here. Mr. Kigios. Give your servant, therefore, a listening heart. Oh, man, what kind of translation do you have? The RSV. That's the revised standard version. And, and uh, Sam, you have an NIV, it looks like. What does yours say? So give your servant a discerning heart. Oh, discerning Okay. All right, so it's hearing heart. In the Hebrew, it's a listening heart. That that's pretty close. Uh, you, you have to understand, in order to hear God's word, your heart has to have a like a set of ears on it, okay? And why that I use that as an example is because when we think of lovers, we think of our hearts, right? Um, oh my gosh, I can't. I keep forgetting to look this up. There is a movie from the '80s, Jeff Bridges and um, Barbara Streisand. 
They, it's a platonic. They get married and they have no romance. Anybody? Oh, man, forget about it. It's probably not a guy movie. I understand. But I watch it because I'm a nerd. Because I, I kind of like to watch these movies. It's actually a pretty good movie. And they have taken marriage uh, and they've tried to take in any passion out of it. And they're completely intellectual friends. Or husband and wife. Now, of course, the movie's kind of funny because it doesn't last. You can't, they have to, their hearts have to be involved. So when we hear God's word, we don't think about our ears and our brains. That's how we understand school. I've already made the case that, you know, church is not school. So rather than hearing with our ears and our brain, we need to hear with a listening heart or or heart with ears. And the reason why that is is because if we are able to, so Jesus's word creates faith, which in turn creates faithful hearing. Um, which goes to last week's, you know, we, 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 we believe in the Bible because we believe Jesus. All right. So Jesus is our lover. He changes our hearts. He wins us over and now we hear everything he says through our hearts. With, um, yeah, with love. Okay. The mirror has two faces. Oh, the, thank you. The mirror has two faces. I have no idea why it's called that, but okay. Jeff Bridges, Barbara Streisand. It's probably not a guy's night movie, though. We'll watch Braveheart before we watch that, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, by the way, I mean, that, how many, uh, Braveheart is great. That's another, that's a great, that's a great lover movie. Right? Brandon, have you ever seen Braveheart? You weren't even born then, I don't think, so don't worry about it. It's a great movie. He basically frees Scotland because somebody killed his wife. It's awesome. It's not quite historically accurate, but I love it. It's a great story. Okay, um, so Jesus tells the parable of the sower for us to really understand that um, there are different kinds of hearing. There's, uh, John Kleinig, I think, uses the word sabotage hearing. Like Our hearing can be sabotaged in three particular ways. Unreceptive hearing, shallow hearing, and distracted hearing. Unreceptive hearing, of course, is just cold-heartedness, forget about it, and that is the sea that falls on the, the road. The shallow hearing is that, that which is, um, uh, sprouts up very quickly, but then has no root, and then falls away. So, it's, this is Pastor Nelson's interpretation. Uh, it is it's a very emotional hearing. This is, oh, we're riding high, and this is going to be great, and then, ugh. And then distracted hearing, of course, is the, 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 the sea that's choked by the cares of the world. And we, um, Pastor Nelson, seventh grade Pastor Nelson was a very distracted young man then, so I can understand how that is. But these, this sort of hearing, though, is only combated, though, by, by the Word of God itself. So, of course, if we're unreceptive, how do we become receptive? We repent. If we have shallow hearing, how do we, you know, become a deep hearer? Well, that is by uh, savoring, taking our time with it. Remember, I had the pack of M&Ms. You can either swallow M&Ms or you can chew them and taste them and feel, you know, eat them, you know, like them. Nobody swallows M&Ms. It's dumb. You should not uh, just read God's word quickly and think, oh, I got it. I'll figure it out. It's no big deal. It's dumb. Um, and then distracted hearing. Come on. This is like our society left and right. So how do we overcome distracted hearing? That is taking time to be quiet and paying attention. Did I, did I tell you about the, I did this with the confirmation kids about the, um, 
Um, awareness test? Okay, awareness test. Just go to YouTube, type in awareness test. There's a variety of awareness tests out there, but my, I have two favorite ones. One is with the, um, the people in the white shirts, people in the black shirts passing basketballs around. Has anyone ever seen that before? Well, I'll give it away. Just, you should watch it anyways. Uh, you watch the video, it says, count how many passes are between those wearing white shirts. So you're sitting there watching, you're counting, and I think it turns out to be like 13 passes between the team that has the white shirts on. And the team with the black shirts, they're all passing around each other. So they're all kind of moving around, passing it, and da-da-da. Well, at the end, they say 13 passes. And you're like, ah, oh, sweet. And then it's a, it asks you, but did you see the gorilla? You're like, what? So they rewind it. And it starts over, and then they slow down, they slow it down, and there's a, a guy in a gorilla suit literally walking through both teams passing the basketball. Now, I have shown that to 100 kids. Not a single one has seen the gorilla so far. Um, yeah, so, so this is a distracted hearing. And I, I usually tell the confirmation kids, which I think is great, great for everybody, is there's going to come a point in time in life when you're older and you're going to say, church is lame, God's lame, I know all that stuff. And I'm going to say, no, you don't, because you weren't listening and you spent all your time being distracted. You might be mad at God for doing something or whatever, but listen, buddy, if you're paying attention, God actually has something to say. So let's just listen. So you don't have to have that later in your life. All the kids say, you're mean, Pastor. Okay. I would have said the same thing when I was in seventh grade. All right, but the other one is productive and fruitful hearing. The, the hearing that you actually want your lover to say to you. Okay, so it's the same seed, but produces differently. So how does one prepare a heart? Well, you prepare your heart through prayer. And that's why we pray before today, tonight. And it would be great for you to pray before you read God's word, because by prayer, you prepare your heart. You're, you're basically opening your ears for you to hear and expect things from God. Because when you expect these things from God and you approach God's word with that frame of mind, then you, you're opening yourself up for Jesus to do something in your heart, which is break through the spiritual deafness, to create faith. When you have faith, then, you're, then you have the ability to hear. And that's great, but you have to continue to remain in God's word. That's John chapter 8, 31, John 15, 7 is that you must keep remaining in God's word because if you don't remain in God's word, just like a seed that doesn't get watered or fertilized, it dies. Okay, so you want to cultivate those ears by prayer. Okay, but when you do that, you're actually not just cultivating yourself, but the Holy Spirit is kind of released to live in your spiritual life. So the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, creates the capacity to hear God. I have a bunch of Bible references there. We, won't, we talked about John chapter 3 last week when Jesus says, The wind blows where it will, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. But we understood that the word wind is panoima, which can be translated as spirit. So Jesus is actually saying to Nicodemus, you hear the spirit, meaning the word coming out of my mouth is the Holy Spirit. But you don't know where it comes from. Because Nicodemus does not understand who Jesus is. However, if we have been baptized, which hopefully everybody has, but if you haven't, talk to me afterwards. 
then your faith has been planted, that seed has been planted in you, and now you have faith to receive this word. But this is important, though, because as, again, as we approach God's word, you know, we have a misunderstanding of spiritual. When we think of spiritual, we think of non-bodily. But Jesus is peculiar in this because the spirit only works through means, through stuff. And the spirit, when it comes to God's word, works through this, you know, the Bible. So I have a nice long quote from Johann Gerhard Hamann. Forgot to, I forgot to uh, give him credit for that long quote. It's from the London writings. And what he says, it's not Moses or Isaiah who's left behind the testimony, which is the old, it's, it's shorthand for the Old Testament. It's the Holy Spirit that has revealed himself through the mouth and pen of these holy men. The Spirit who hovered over the waters of the young, unformed earth, who overshadowed Mary and acted so that the Holy One would be born. The Spirit who alone is able to search out and discover the depths of the Godhead. The, okay, wow. All right, so, I'm, I'm, so, so if anyone wants to know where the Holy Spirit is, come to the Bible. The Holy Spirit is alive in God's Word. And by the way, this is why, uh, you know, Pentecostals get all this, like, attention for being real spiritual. Well, I, I, I interact with the Spirit every day when I read God's Word. I'm a charismatic. A bunch of nerds back there that got that joke. That's a pastor joke. I'm a charismatic because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Pastor Witt just left because I told him he couldn't stay for the whole study. He needs to go home with his wife. But um, over the last several weeks, <laughs> since he's been ordained, we've, uh, so Pastor Brzezik and I, we have aphorisms, little sayings that we, okay. And um, one of mine is related to a belly laugh. Belly laugh. So and it's, it's, it's particularly for pastors. Because, um, you know, pastors are supposed to be leaders in the faith. And I told Pastor Witt, one of the ways pastors lead the faith is if a pastor does not have a good belly laugh at least once a week, he's, he's, I, I said, he, he's not a good pastor. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? And I said, if we spend time in God's word, the abundant life of Jesus is given to us, and part of that abundant life of Jesus is joy. It's overflowing joy. And even in suffering or tragedy, that overflowing joy then exudes itself in the form of a laugh. Now, I'm not literal. Like If you don't have a belly laugh, that doesn't mean you're but if you are not able to like, walk down the street and smile, then there's something majorly wrong. So this is why I'm a charismatic, because I laugh all the time. Yeah. Think about it. Think about it. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, I have been depressed before. I've been clinically depressed when I was in college, um, and I forgot that part. I forgot who Jesus was. And so part of coming back to Jesus was understanding the, that fundamental reality. So that was a long time ago. All right. All right. So, okay, great. So we have these ears to hear our lover. The Holy Spirit is alive in that hearing. So then what should I expect? Why well, should I expect Jesus? This is another thing, too, is like, it's not that Jesus lived a long time ago and he's up in heaven and he's like away from us. But Jesus is present with us. And so when I read God's word, I hear Jesus. And I told you the story last week about the guy, the kid who, right, 
at halftime at the Glenbar North. I told him I, I, <laughs> I, I, so I talked to God, and he was like, what? You talk to God? I'm like, yeah, all the time. What does he sound like? Sounds like me. Um, but this is important, though. This, this is like, when I come into the Holy Word, I'm expecting to hear Jesus. Jesus is speaking to me. And again, you know, if you, if you believe that the Holy Spirit is active in God's Word and that Jesus is actually talking to you, then that, oh, that, that was the quote in Johann Gerhard Hamann, the last sentence of the quote. This should move us to read the divine Word with very great reverence and enjoy it too. It's like your lover. I mean, everyone loves to hear a, you know, everyone likes to hear people they love talk to them. It's just the way, the way it is. Okay, but Luther also says this. He's got, this is a great thing. Uh, this document that Luther wrote here, this quote, one quote is actually, what to expect from the Gospels. That's the title. Well, it's a big, long title, but that's the short one. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it yourself. But the bold part is, he, he is coming to you, or you are being brought to him. For the preaching of the gospel is nothing else than Christ coming to us, or we being brought to him. Now, I think that quote's actually in the book, but I actually added, I think, either one or two sentences at the end, because John Klenig cuts it off. I always like to include the part where um, then you become Jesus to your neighbor. That's the last little part. So the word, Jesus plants his word into you, then you become the means where Christ is alive in the world. So God speaks to you. Holy Spirit's alive in you. Then that word then comes out of your mouth. So there's that beautiful kind of understanding of giving and receiving that starts with Jesus' word. It goes into your ear, which then goes into your heart, and then it comes out your mouth. I don't know if, well. Hey, Gideon, can I ask you a question? Did, did you take the Lord's Supper class in the summertime? When you got First Communion? Yeah. Okay. Did we play telephone? Do you remember playing telephone at all? No. Okay. I didn't think so. All right, so I, I do this with children um, to, teach, to teach this. Is that uh, God's Word is like a big telephone game. You guys know this, this is like a party game, right? When you're a little kid, you send a little message, and they pass on the message, and then by the end, it's like, you know, you start out with, you know, Christmas trees are beautiful in December, and then it turns out, you know, Martians landed in June at Washington, D.C. or something like that. You know, it's, it's fun, right? Okay. Um, but this is precisely how Jesus works. Jesus speaks. We hear. That word is not just in our brain, but it, it lives in our bodies, which comes out of our mouths into another ear, and it, it, it's alive now. And that's precisely Romans chapter 10. So turn to Romans chapter 10. And then, well, we got to hurry. I'm sorry. Man. I got too many stories. I guess I cut it with the stories here. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Actually, what I'm going to do is, I think we're just going to skip down. Sorry. Um... We're going to skip down to verse 14. Uh, the, okay, 5 to 13 is, Paul uses the Old Testament to demonstrate how God's word is near. So again, Jesus is speaking now to you. It's not like he spoke a while ago, and these are like dead words from the past, but these are our living words speaking to you right now. Okay. Let's start at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to bear without, hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay? Again, supporting the whole notion that whatever word you hear is the word of Christ. Faith is produced by the word of Christ, which the word is in here. Um, the reason why I, I bring this up, though, is there's this dynamic giving and receiving. Okay, this started with, from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus spoke. Who received it? The apostles. Who received it? Uh, you know, then they spoke it. Then who received it after them? Well, they're listeners. I mean, it keeps going, 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 going all the way until now. So it's not a... Um, kind of like a power hierarchy, but this dynamic structure of giving and receiving that demonstrates how Christ is alive in the world, reaching out to people. And how does this get played out in our personal lives? Well, that, we're going to do that right now. Okay. Turn to Mark chapter 2. All right, just like last week, we read the Bible. We only read one verse last week. We're going to read a, a story, Okay. All right, we're going to read Mark 2, 1 through 12, and we're going to read it with this frame of mind that Jesus is actually speaking to us right now. Okay, we're going to read it, I'm going to read it, actually I'm only going to read it once, so we're going to, we're just going to, we're just going to chew it, maybe we're not going to savor it tonight, we're going to try to chew and savor at the same time because um, I would like to finish with evening prayer, or at least the first half of evening prayer tonight. Um, okay, so Jesus, here's, he, okay, so as we listen to this, um, we're going to ask some fundamental questions. Where is Jesus in the text? It's pretty easy because it's about Jesus. So what is Jesus doing? Then where are you in the text? But you're like, this was written like 2,000 years ago. I'm not in here. Yes, you are. You have to find a character that you are either standing next to or wearing their clothes or whatever. And then, um, then those last two on the piece of paper we'll, we'll, we'll actually maybe have time to discuss. All right, so I'm going to read it. Then you're going to find out where Jesus is. I'm sorry, what Jesus is doing which, again, you might answer that very quickly. It's going to be super easy, okay? But then you're going to find yourself in there. Okay, I'm not going to ask you why you associate with that person. I'm just going to ask you who it is. And then talk amongst your table about those two questions. What's Jesus doing and where are you? Okay? All right. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why did this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up the bed, his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, take a couple minutes, answer those two questions. Ready, go. All right. 
All right, good. I, you know, I'm still getting better. I did way better than last week because we're at 15 minutes before versus 8 o'clock. So we're, we're going to work on this, and next week it's going to be perfect timing. So we have a little more time. Now, okay, uh, our table, uh, everyone was in the crowd in our table. Where are you in the story? I'm in the crowd for a variety of reasons, though. Um, one is because I want to see a miracle. Another one is... You know, what's all the hubbaloo about? Um, and what was Jesus doing? Well, he was healing some guy and forgiving sins. However, after a couple questions, we realized that he was also teaching the scribes something about his person. Okay. And then we had to stop. But we, there was only three of us, so... Some of your bigger tables. Hopefully you guys got through it. Uh, again, we're, again, this is savoring. We're savoring God's word. Again, this is, doesn't take a, you know, you don't have to have a master's of divinity to read these stories and get something out of them. But you do have to slow down and listen. Okay, let's start over here, Dave's table. Marty and Ken. You know, because last week Marty said he knew everything. Oh, he still does. Okay, great. Excellent. <laughs> All right, where are you guys in the story? All right, where are you guys in the story? Where were you guys in the story? A whole variety of places. We were there. Yeah. We were there. Let the guy down. Okay, perfect. How many other people had a tough time picking one spot because they saw themselves in, in basically every place? Yeah, perfect. Excellent. That's what you should do. Now the one part that we, the one part that we normally don't like, like we don't want to be a scribe. At the same time, yeah, okay. Now Roy asked a good question though. This is, relates to being Jesus in the story, because he says, "Well, yeah, I mean, if so, I raised the question. Well, can God can is God the only one who can forgive sins? It's kind of a trick question." Because the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about is the restoration of the relationship with God. And if we understand forgiveness that way, then God is the only one who can forgive sins. But Roy was like, well, can't we forgive sins between each other? Yes, only because of who, though? Because of Jesus. Our relationship without Jesus will still remain broken. So, but when we do forgive our neighbor, you know, for using all the gasoline in our lawnmower when they borrowed it, we are Jesus in the story, okay? Now, that might sound silly, but it's true. And hopefully that will <laughs> change the way you understand when you forgive someone. Okay, excellent. Um, this table back here. What about you guys? Eli, let's see, let's... Uh, we had a paralytic. Paralytic. Oh, right, and I hadn't thought of it this way, but it was very good observations uh, that the paralytic is in some way analogous to baptism is totally inept. Fantastic. Yes, so when we talked about hearing tonight, it wasn't so much about paralysis, but about, like, we are deaf until Jesus opens up our ears. And in, this, in terms of the paralytic, what could he not do as a disciple of Jesus? He couldn't actually follow Jesus. So he needed to be raised from the dead or from paralysis in order to actually follow behind. That's exactly right. Okay, good. So already we went to two ta three tables and you realize you're in the story on multiple levels. So, when you, are reading your, when you are reading your Bible when you're 10 years old, and you're thinking, where am I in the story? You could think of yourself, oh, I'm in the crowd, because I want to see, you know, Jesus sounds really interesting. He's a miracle guy. Okay, later, when uh, you realize that you're a sinner, like a real, you know, like a damn sinner, you've made a mess of your life, you know, maybe when you're, I don't know, 
20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, <laughs> when you wise up, uh, you're the paralytic. But you can read the story multiple times and find yourself in different places. And that's the beauty of God's word. You have to savor this because if you don't, it's like swallowing your M&M. Okay. Uh, okay, table back there. What's Jesus doing back there? The Rumsey table. It's easy. Forgiven sins. Healing the sick. Forgiven sins. Um, he's also revealing. I think I said that already, though. Oh, I gave it all away already. Uh, he's revealing who he is, too. Okay, now, let's just, let's just go back here. Let's these last two tables real quick. Let's just kind of deal with... Um, I'm going to ask these two tables a question. What's the difference between hearing different things and hearing different words? Because in this story, did people hear different things? Or did they hear different words? Yeah, they heard different things, right? Same word, different things. So what's the difference between the scribe? Well, actually, there's actually three kinds of hearing, by the way, in this story. But the two obvious ones are the scribes and then the paralytic, right? The simple answer is what's different? Faith. Paralytic had faith. The scribes did not. It was the same word. Now, again, were the scribes wrong, by the way? Only God can forgive sins, right? Who did they not understand Jesus to be, though? God, right? And you can, who can blame them? He didn't rise from the dead yet, so we're going to have a little compassion on those scribes, okay? Palmer's like, no. Palmer, buddy, come on. Mercy. Jeepers. If you're a good Jew, there are certain words you would not use. Yes, but they, uh, you know, so here's the thing about the scribes and, and um, you know, I'm not going to go on a tangent because we're going we're to pray the opening versicles of evening prayer. Just, just read Isaiah. Like, uh, come on. A good Jew should read Isaiah, okay? All right, anything surprising? Table, you find anything, anything uh, surprising in this story? Anything that jumped out at you? would be like, oh, I didn't notice that before. Maybe you never read it before, so everything is surprising. I don't know. All right. How about surprising? Yeah. The way I have thought of it before, too, is that the paralytic was not the way his own voice that he got to it. was through others that brought him. That is exactly right. You guys might not have heard that, but the paralytic was uh, forgiven sins and healed even though he didn't bring himself. Other people brought him. And in fact, what did Jesus... Um, Jesus saw their faith. So here's the thing. Could the paralytic even believe in Jesus? No, he's dead in his trespasses. Jesus' word created faith. Why does, he, why does the paralytic believe in Jesus? I mean, believe in the Bible? Because Jesus, he believes in Jesus. Jesus is the one who infiltrated his life, opened his ears so he could hear God's word. However, the four guys who brought him, completely faithful. They all already were caught up in the life of, of God. Okay. So we have, we have like five minutes, ten minutes. We're getting better. Grab a hymnal. Page 243. You guys are welcome to hang out afterwards or not. If you've got more questions about stuff, I'm, I'm going to be here.